0: Good morning, friends. Think of how many times you've ever heard someone say, I would like to help you, but my hands are tied. I wish I could do more, but my hands are tied. Does that sound familiar? You also hear it sometimes from governmental workers and from customer service reps and from many others whose job it is, in theory at least, to serve the public. It seems to be the bureaucrat's mantra, I'd love to help you, But my hands are tied. And maybe I sound as if I'm being harsh, but I don't mean to because I think we've all been in a situation in which we ourselves would like to do more, but we simply can't. We're limited by the system and it prevents us from doing what we want to do and what we know ought to be done. Our hands are tied. And you know what? This applies not only to where we work and the way we do business. It applies to many other areas of life. We often find ourselves wanting to do more but not able to do more because, well, we're tied. We're tied up. And we're tied not to some nameless, faceless bureaucracy. All too often, we're tied to our own stubbornness, to our own weakness, to our own apathy, to our own laziness. And let's say it, yeah, to our own sinfulness. Let me give you some examples. I'd like to have a better marriage, but my hands are tied by my own inability to show love to others. I'd like to have better relationships, but my hands are tied by my tendency to hold a grudge for decades at a time. I'd like to be more successful, but my hands are tied by my inability to get organized. I'd like to be more generous, but my hands are tied by my own self-driven priorities. I'd like to make some changes in my life, but my hands are tied by my inability to let go of the past. Again, friends, my intention is not to be judgmental and accusatory. It's simply the cold, hard truth. We find ourselves in many different situations and circumstances in which we are powerless to do more. Our hands are tired, either by, or tied either by our own limitations or by the limitations placed on us by the system. Today, however, I want to remind you that no matter how many people you encounter day in and day out who use tied hands as their fallback position, And no matter how many times you have made this same excuse to others and to yourself, I want to remind you that we serve a God whose hands are not tied, not at all. They never have been tied, and they never will be tied, not by any circumstance, not by any politician or governmental authority or man-made limitation. We serve a God whose hand is mighty, and he can accomplish what he intends to accomplish. Isaiah 48:13 reminds us, My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. Yep, his hands are never tied. Now, a few years ago, to be accurate, about 20 years ago, but, you know, 20 sometimes seems just like a few years to me, I was telling a fellow pastor about a ministry I was involved in and how we were praying for God to move in a mighty way. And we're hoping to see great things happen. This slightly older pastor didn't hesitate to throw a little water on the fire. He looked at me and he said, Son, you need to learn to seek God's face, not his hand. i got to tell you, at the time I felt a little rebuked. You know, kind of shame on me for wanting to see God touch people's lives. Now over the years I've heard this phrase repeated more times than I can count. Seek God's face, not his hand. And it sounds kind of spiritual until you look at the Bible and see what the hand of God really represents. Just a quick glance reveals that in the Bible, God's hand represents, first of all, his power. Second Chronicles 20, verse 6, power and might are in your right hand and no one can withstand you. In Matthew uh, 8, verse 3, we see where Jesus at one point reached out his hand and touched a man and immediately he was cured of his leprosy. The hand of God represents the power of God. And God's hand represents second of all God's protection. Again in Isaiah 41:10, so do not fear for I am with you, do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God also spoke through Isaiah 49:16. See I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Friends, in the biblical narrative, we're reminded that the hand of God represents the protection of God. But God's hand represents, third of all, the provision of God. David wrote in Psalm 145:16, You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God's power and God's protection and God's provision, this is what the hand of God represents. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one of these do you not need? Do you not need God's power, or are you able to live in your own strength? Do you need God's protection, or can you fend for yourself? Do you need God's provision, or can you get by on what you're able to do by scraping things together by your own wits? I'll be honest with you. In my case, I need them all. I would imagine that's true for everyone. We need his power. We need his protection. We need his provision. Therefore, we need the hand of God at work in our lives. For this reason, we need to seek God's hand, because his hand is the only hand that can never be tied. For this reason, we want it to be said of us as it was said of Ezekiel, chapter 1, verse 3. The hand of the Lord was on him. So those who in their spiritual pride say, seek God's face and not his hand, are missing the point. We need both. You better believe you need to see God's hand in your life and in your work and in your marriage and every other aspect of your existence because you can't get by without it. Neither can whatever church you attend get by without it. Yet we want to see his face in our worship. We also want and greatly need to see his hand moving among us. We need it. And so we say, God, I need your power, your protection, and your provision as well as your presence every day of my life. Now, in our time remaining, let's talk about what it means to seek God's hand. Now, if you listened to last week's message, you know I talked about seeking God's face. We talked about five ways we can actively seek Him, and it comes down to turning your eyes toward Jesus, focusing on Him all throughout the day. But today we're going to talk about seeking God's hand. And by the way, let's not get too caught up in the semantics here between seeking God's hand and seeking God's face, because The bottom line is, after all, that we're talking about seeking God, period. In today's message, we're talking about a specific aspect of seeking God that involves more than just contemplation. It involves specific action on our part. We're going to look at a single verse from the Old Testament book of Hosea. Some of you know the story. Hosea was a prophet who was married to a woman who was unfaithful to him. After a few years together, she abandoned her home and her husband and her family to live a life of promiscuous rebellion. Now, through this entire epic, Hosea loved her and kept seeking after her and kept calling her home until the day she came back and they were fully reconciled. Hosea's story symbolizes the relationship that God has had with his people throughout the generations, because historically, we haven't always been faithful to him, and We've broken God's heart as Hosea's unfaithful wife shattered his. And yet, like Hosea, God keeps seeking us and keeps calling us back to him. In Hosea 10, verse 12, this is the appeal God makes to his people. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. This single verse shows us three necessary steps that are involved in seeking God's power and protection and provision. If you've been frustrated by having your hands tied too long to a miserable past, a past that you would leave behind once and for all if only you could. If you've been frustrated by having your hands tied to marital strife and failure at work and self-destructive behavior and opposition all around you. If you all too often find yourself powerless, provisionless and unprotected, if you want more of God and you want your life to be all about him, then you need to make your life all about seeking him. And by the way, there's no better way to live. So in in today's message, we're going to consider three steps that we need to take toward seeking God in order to experience his fullness in our lives. The first step that we need to take is the step of surrender. Hosea told us to break up your unplowed ground. The King James Version says break up your fallow ground. Now, what is fallow ground? Well, obviously, it's unplowed ground, as the NIV indicates. More specifically, the Hebrew defines it as tillable, though as of yet, untilled ground. In other words, it is land that could be productive, but for whatever reason, it hasn't been broken or plowed and prepared for planting. This means that it's generally good ground, although right now it may be stumpy and lumpy and thorny and rocky and in serious need of some care. Now, we all have some areas of fallow ground in our lives, areas that are not yet fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, areas in which the ground has the potential for being good but hasn't yet been tilled because we're refusing to let go. We say, God, I want to experience the harvest over there in this area of my business, but over here in the area of giving, I'm not quite ready to plow that ground. Or we say, God, I want you to reign supreme over there in my marriage, but over here in my thought life, well, I'm not quite ready to take a tiller to that. These areas are the fallow ground of our lives, the unplowed ground. You cannot experience the fullness of God, the fullness of his power, his protection, his provision, and his presence, if your life is marked by unplowed, unprepared, and untended territory. Here's what I'm saying. Seeking God means that you surrender everything to him, everything you have, every area of your life. Seeking God means that you surrender everything to him, everything you have, every area of your life. It involves surrender. And when I talk about surrender, I'm talking in large part about repentance. I'm talking about turning your back on sinful attitudes and sinful actions that come between you and your relationship with God. I'm talking about having the courage to say, God, I fully submit this area of my life to you. Help me now to do what I need to do to clean it up. Seeking God means that every day and even all throughout the day, you're yielding to him in every area of your life. And every time you encounter an unplowed patch of earth, you break it and you surrender it to his lordship. Now, seeking God also involves obedience. Hosea uses the phrase, so for yourselves, righteousness. He's talking about doing good things, doing good deeds. Now, often we make the mistake of thinking that being righteous just involves not sinning. You know, like if I could just make it through the day without doing too many wrong things, then I'll be okay. But friends, I got to tell you, there's more to it than that. In addition to avoiding sinful attitudes and actions, we need to actively... Do the good works and the good deeds. And doing good for others is a step in the process of seeking God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25 that those who feed the hungry and who welcome strangers and visit the sick and visit those who are in prison and who give clothes to those without clothes. And he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus would say to us today, do you want more of me in your life? And sow the seeds of righteousness wherever you go. Wherever you do good, the person on the other end may not appreciate it or may not even make an effort to do good in return. But Hosea said that you will reap the fruit of unfailing love. Now, what does that mean? It means more of God in your life. So with every right thing you do and every good thing you do, do it with a heart turned towards seeking God. Now, seeking God also involves persistence. Hosea said, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Now, I love the message translation here. It says, it's time to dig in with God until he arrives with righteousness ripe for harvest. I love that, until he arrives. That's the key phrase. Dig in with God. Keep seeking the Lord until he arrives. I love the story I've heard of a guy named Mel Fisher. Uh, Mel Fisher spent his life diving the deep sea seeking lost treasure. And in the late 1960s, he began searching for priceless cargo of an ancient Spanish ship called the Atoka. Every day for 16 years, he and his team scoured the ocean floor seeking the remains of this ancient sunken ship. And then on July the 20th, 1985, after 16 years of searching, the search was over. He found the treasure he had been seeking. It was worth more than he'd ever imagined. His days of living hand to mouth were over. He was now rich beyond his wildest dreams. Friends, that's what happens when you seek with persistence. And I want you to know that the treasure he found doesn't hold a candle to the treasure you will find when you persist in seeking God with all your heart. The treasure I'm talking about is God's power, his protection, his provision, his abiding presence in your life. I don't know about you, but there's there's an old song. I've sung it before. Maybe you have too. There's a line in it that says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than have riches untold. There's no greater treasure that one can imagine. It's worth it to dig in and seek God until he arrives. King David wrote back in Psalm 123, Our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. Did you catch that? Until. Seeking God requires requires a commitment to until. Until he is gracious, until he arrives. And what happens when you seek him until? Hosea says, until he showers righteousness on you. Have you ever felt like your hands were tied and you can't be as good as you would like to be and you can't do all that you would like to do? Well, friends, here's the good news. God's hands are not tied. They've never been tied, they'll never be tied, and when you seek him, he has promised to open his hand, hands and shower righteousness in your life, his power, his protection, and his provision. For those who say don't seek God's hand, I would say this advice works only for those who don't need it. As for me, I need his hand at work in my life, and I would say the same is true for each and every one of us. You may be powerless over some situations and powerless over some aspect of your life, But I will remind you that the hand of God is mighty. When you seek him, you will discover a hand that is never tied, never closed, never curled into a fist. When you seek God, you'll discover a hand that is open, a hand in whose palm you, you can safely abide, a hand strong enough to protect you and tender enough to guide you gently into the future. So yes, seek God's hand, because the strength of your own hand will never be enough. David reminds us, of how Israel experienced victory in battle. Psalm 44.3 It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. Friends, seek God's hand, his power, his protection, and his provision. Seek God's face, his abiding presence. Until next time, see the vision live the mission, feel the passion.